Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Caroline Burrell has enjoyed a varied career spanning academia, biotech, big pharma and back again. Now CEO and Chief Scientific Officer of Elasmogen, she's developed unique insight into the drug discovery sector and today she shares her journey with us. Today I'm here with Caroline Burrell of Elasmogen. Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you, nice to be here. Good to have you. Um, Caroline, we always start by talking a little bit about what you're doing and the, and the company. So can you tell us a little bit about Elasmogen and the work that you do there? Sure, absolutely. No problem at all. I'd be delighted to. So Elasmogen is a next generation therapeutic biologics company, mm-hmm. which is a long way of saying that we make drugs. Yes. And the type of drugs that we make are antibody-like drugs. So antibodies are incredibly powerful molecules. They essentially are what keeps you and myself and everybody else healthy. Mm -hmm. So they are raised in response to external challenges or pathogens that come into your body and of course are the basis of vaccination and immunization as well. And in the last few decades there have been paradigm shifts in that what we can now do is raise antibodies against disease targets. Yes. And the beauty of antibodies is that they can hone in and bind specifically and and selectively to a disease target in the body. Mm -hmm. And if we look at what's happened in our industry over the last few decades, I guess, is that antibodies have taken over when it comes to not only clinical outcomes, which is essentially what we're all about in this business, but also commercial outcomes as well. And so the largest selling drug in the world is an antibody. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the top seven at the moment from the top 10 are all biologics. So they all fall into that field of naturally occurring molecules. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And so this area has fascinated me for a long time. And um, we have based our technology on antibody-like molecules. So mm-hmm. the same principle in that they are highly selective and high affinity for disease targets. But we've opted for a different type of molecule the origin of which comes from elasma branchi Mm -hmm. or cartilaginous fish hence the elasmogen tag of the company (laughs) so not a lot of people know that but we tried (laughs) to keep it you know so people understood the background but we weren't absolutely defined Mm -hmm. by the background so that was the idea about the company name and these beautiful animals have have been in our oceans for, for hundreds of millions of years and of course they've evolved extensively and one part of that evolution is the single chain. Now what I mean by that is a very simple protein molecule that actually is raised against pathogens in these animals like an antibody is in ours. And the key differences are that mammalian or our antibodies are very large mm. molecular wise <laughs> and very complex. So yes. They're made of lots of different chains that have to come together and you also get phosphate groups and sugar groups and, and things like that added onto them. Now, they're, And they're very good at what they do, but they are complex when it comes to manufacturing and mm. making a drug. Whereas our domains are very simple. They've got no sugars, no phosphate groups. They're single chain. And what you can do, and I like to think about this in the terms of somewhat old-fashioned 
term of stickle bricks, which some people may remember and some <laughs> yes. people may not remember, but I remember. <laughs> and I still love things like that. Uh -huh. Even Macanu, I suppose, yeah. And you can link them together. And by linking them together, you can bind more than one target at any one time. I see, okay. Which is absolutely critical. When you think about the complexity of disease, mm. it's not very often that you can hit one thing and the disease goes away, right? Sure. Otherwise, we'd be on it. Yeah, yeah, of <laughs> yeah, course. We would be out of business because there would be no disease. And so inevitably, there's some backup mechanism in the cell that something else is overexpressed and something else kicks in and takes over from that molecule. And so a key development in our sector is the ability to bind more than one or target more right. than one molecule at any one time. And our domains do that beautifully. Yes. Beautifully. And so that's... I, th I think the key points, I mean, the other things are that they are incredibly small. And that's a, a very important aspect uh, to some of the programs of work that we're working on, particularly in cancer. Mm -hmm. And the benefits there are looking at solid tumors, for example, where a larger molecule may be limited when it comes to actually accessing inside that tumor. Yes, I see. Whereas a, a smaller biologic can actually penetrate in and, and reach those cancer cells. And so lots of attributes, lots of advantages, very exciting, and that's the basis of our technology. I see. So so basically with, with the single chain technology, you can then, so you can target multiple um, targets, you could, it's easier to manufacture. Yes. Is it easier to target as well? or? It's interesting actually because they have an interesting shape mm -hmm. and so what they're capable of doing is binding to parts of a target and I'm going to sound like a famous beer advert now that other things cannot reach. <laughs> um, I plagiarised terribly on that one but essentially what they can do is if you, if you look at a, a target and if there is um, a crevice or a canyon or, a, or, or some sort of hidden piece then our domains have these great long loops mm. and they can bind into those kind of more intractable or difficult to target areas of the molecule. And what that translates into is generally greater potency or efficacy yes. because you might be inhibiting the activity of that target. Um, and also, I guess, I have to throw in commercially, we're actually targeting a different part of the molecule. So that may give us a greater freedom to operate. So, of course, that always comes into the equation. Yes, I understand. So, and you mentioned oncology is a, a target area for mm. you. Are there other things that you're looking at or other potential applications of this? Yes. So we can go broad and mm. um, that comes with challenges. So essentially we have platforms to isolate these domains from. And so we can isolate them against a number of different target classes in a number of different indications. Mm -hmm. um, our internal focus is on inflammatory diseases and autoimmune diseases. Um, both systemic, so things like rheumatoid arthritis, yes. ankylosing spondylitis and, and diseases such like that, but also more localised diseases like inflammatory gut diseases where it would be great to get the drug um, expressed or delivered where it's needed inside the body, mm -hmm. which is another benefit of our domains because they are really robust and they can be expressed locally. Um, and also, we've also worked in ocular inflammatory diseases as well, so diseases of the eye. Yes where classically antibodies have been incredibly successful, but they have to be delivered through a needle. Right, yes. Right, so, and I, it, it kind of makes me cringe personally. I mean, I've never <laughs> had to go through that, but just trying to think of how disruptive we can be mm. in that means of administration. So because our domains are small, they're robust, we actually have shown that we can 
in collaboration with delivery technologies. I mean, we seldom do things. We always try and partner to get the best product possible that we can actually deliver our domains to the back of the eye at therapeutic yes. doses. So all of those kind of areas is, is what we're working in, really. Those are the main focuses. It's interesting. We've seen a few therapies recently or areas of research recently that are around making these molecules smaller. Yeah. Whereas it was about making them... It's a bit like smartphones, right? Telephones, <laughs> yeah, yeah, telephones. I know, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. But, you know, you've got yeah. protein degradation, you've got things like uh, nanomedicines, things like that. There yes. seems to be more of these around now. Yes. Um, and I suppose that physical size, size just gives it different... Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the beauty of it is that, one, it's natural. So this mm -hmm. is what it does. We're not forcing it to do anything it doesn't want to do. Okay? Yeah. So we're starting off on, on a solid footing. The next thing is, because they're small, it's easy to make something big. We can just add it together. So we can, sure. we can multiplize them. We can add them on, on the, the, the core of an antibody. So the core of an antibody is something called an FC. And an FC is what enables an antibody to recruit and kill cells and also to let it last a long time in your body. Mm -hmm. So we can actually reformat and add on an FC as well. So something small, it works, it goes in the body and out the body quickly, or you can build it and you have the freedom to kind of construct different formats depending on the utility or the demand of the drug itself in yes. whichever particular disease. Yes, I yeah. think the stickle bricks are a good. Stickle metaphor. bricks are good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so you have a you have a dual role in Lesmogen. You you're both the CEO and the chief scientific officer. Yeah. So t tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I know a dual personality. So I think primarily CEO. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I guess that that really is all about the strategy of the company, the overall um, direction the company's taken at any one time, and, and really looking outwards as to where we should be taking the company. Um, so that very much involves me, well, primarily looking for investment, I would say, mm -hmm. is, is what I spend a lot of my time doing. Yes. Um, it, you know, a biotech company, if, if people aren't familiar with it, is, is very much a, a company that is at early stage drug discovery and we have a very long horizon. And so it takes on average 10 to 15 years mm. to get a drug into the clinic. And there is a huge amount of attrition along that. And so you do need substantial amounts of investment in order to take a drug as far along that pathway, that critical pathway as you can. And the aim there really is to de-risk it and get it to the point that a larger company, so a biopharmaceutical sure. company, a pharma company, will come along and say, that's fantastic, we love it, well done you, Elasmogen. We'll now partner that and then we'll take it forward into the clinic. And then you may have some other things in your pipeline that you continue through, it, et cetera, et cetera. And so I have, and I have spent a lot of time looking for investment. We're fortunate at the moment because our current investors are, are impressed with how well we've done yeah. and they are now happy to put another investment into the company. So we're just completing on that investment at the moment. And so what we have done, and this is relatively recently, we kind of sat together, the management team sat together and at the end of last year and we thought, right, okay, let's have a look at what we're good at. So we know we've got investment coming in, so that keeps us going for a period of time. Mm -hmm. We can keep churning the internal R&D, keep churning our internal pipeline going forward. But when we kind of sat back and looked at the company as a whole, we realized that we were really good at partnerships, really good at collaborations. Okay. And it's something that I believe strongly in because we know what we're good at, mm. right? And we're good at early stage drug discovery. We know about solomers. We know what they can do. We can stickle brick them and, and do what we want with yes. them. But there are a lot of other companies who have other technologies. So you mentioned nanomedicine, mm -hmm. for example. 
So we have this wonderful collaboration with Queen's University of Belfast, who, e who are experts in nanoparticles. Right. So taking chemotherapy and closing it into a very small sphere, and then they want to target it somewhere in the body. So in order to target it, they coat them with our solomers, and then that see, okay. carries the chemotherapy into the tumour, for yes. example, right? Uh, a very similar story, which is a similar type of technology, which are antibody drug conjugates. So antibody drug conjugates are basically an antibody which is directed against a target on a solid tumour, and it's connected to a chemical toxin. And it's, it's the same idea. So essentially it's chemotoxin, but it's, 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 it's tied, tied to a, a signalling molecule, and it takes it into mm. the tumour as well. And so we have this wonderful ongoing and expanding collaboration with Almac Discovery, where they wanted something small, smaller than an antibody, which is where we fit beautifully. Um, so we've isolated solomers against solid drug tumours. Um, we have then attached through their expertise, their chemical expertise. I don't do chemistry. I don't know <laughs> chemistry. We, we're so you, you bring together experts in two different areas and then you solve a problem. You, you produce a new product that's valuable. Yes. And so that's what we've decided to do. So over the last period of time, I've really been out there with my chairman and with my CTO and, and very much members of the science team as well, speaking at um, various science conferences. I've been going to bio-partnering conferences, yes. which are fascinating, fascinating beasts. So they are where you, you speed date, you know, in right, right, cubicles right. every 25 minutes. Yes. I love it. I absolutely love it. You meet incredible people mm -hmm. with incredible technologies and um, right the way through from the biggest players in the field so your Pfizer's and your G&J's right the way through to very clever people who have started very clever biotech companies and new technologies and we look for partners we look for people yes. who either want to access our platforms to isolate solomers against their favorite target and um, which is great or like we did with Almac and like we did with Queen's for other technologies which kind of cross over different disciplines mm. and then pull those together with ours and, and sort of bolster the pipeline with, with novelty, so creating different types of products. Yes. And so I love, I've, I've been thoroughly enjoying that aspect of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. So I get to travel to these conferences. Mm -hmm. Um, it's tiring. I'm going to throw that sure, out there in case, in case people think it's just a jolly. It certainly is not a jolly. It, the beauty of it is, and I think the key thing is to listen to what people want. I, I treat any potential partner as a customer. Mm -hmm. That's the way I can kind of translate it into other types of business model. And they may have a problem that they want solved. And so if you ask them and you sit and you just take that short period of time, because it is just a short period of time yeah. to listen to what they're looking for, and then with all of your portfolio, with all of the things that you're working on and the potential of the platform, you can find some inspiration and think, ah, okay, wait a minute. You know what would be really good? We've got a domain against this target. It mm. may fit with what you're talking about. And, and it's that start of that conversation. And then you follow that up and then they bring their science team and you bring your science team yes. in. Oh, I love it. I, I, that, so that there, there crosses over into the CSO bit. Right? Yes, so I see. <laughs> you can tell that the passion is still there on the science yes, side. Yes, I can, yeah, I can sense. I know, that's, <laughs> I've never lost that. And, I, and I, I say to anyone who's listening, never lose that mm -hmm. because you have to be grounded on, on what is happening in the lab, what's happening in your field. You have to, to still be passionate about it to actually enjoy running a biotech company. Yes, yeah. and that links beautifully to my next question, so thank oh. you. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> so that, that passion for the scientific end of it, yes. I'm always interested in where that comes from. I mean, what are, what are your... 
what are your early memories of, of science and your interest in it and when you got excited about it and yeah. why this career, I suppose? Yeah, no, I know. And I am a bit weird in many levels in my family because nobody else has done right, okay. this kind of thing, right? So it, it wasn't kind of... Um, you know, my parents were in this kind of sector and I, I followed yeah. suit or anything like that. I, I kind of broke the mold a little bit. And I think, as far as I remember, I, I, I mean, there's probably two different things. One, I just was kind of, I don't know, this sounds a bit um, narcissistic. I was amazed at my myself. I kind of, you know, just looking at yourself, what, the way that you think, the way that you see, the way that you smell, the right, way that yeah, you move, yeah. the way you respond to things. I mean, it, it kind of blew my mind. Just And I used to just drive my mother insane with questions based on the <laughs> yeah. fundamentals, I suppose, of yes. physiology and biochemistry. And although, although I didn't know that's what it was at the time, you know, I just needed to know and understand and, and, and so on and so forth. So that was always kind of there mm. uh, right the way through when I was an, a slightly irritating toddler all the way through. But I think what really sealed it for me was uh, my dad's father, so my grandfather, uh, had Parkinson's disease. He I died see. of Parkinson's disease. And I only ever really knew him as this gentleman who sat in the corner of the living room and, and shook mm -hmm. uncontrollably. Um, and we used to take him on holiday, we used to push a wheelchair, we used to take him everywhere we went and all the rest of it. And I guess I kind of saw him deteriorate you know, as a, as a reasonably young girl at the time, I was seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes. And I just couldn't understand why someone just didn't take him to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and why can't you just, is there not like a medicine that's going to make grandpa better? Uh -huh. I mean, I just, I really was frustrated about that and I couldn't understand why this was happening to him. And, you know, and so I think that that was, and initially when I started school, I thought, right, I'm going to be a doctor. Right. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going yeah. to be a doctor incredible people who you know, just go out there and they, and they are right at the cool face and they help people, they, mm -hmm. they mend people, they fix people. And then as I went through my science career and I, I, I went to university, I did biochemistry, I kind of got more interested in the starting point of that whole process. Okay. So actually not so much injecting the drug, but what is that drug? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? How does it do what it does? Mm -hmm. I mean, how how can you make it better or how is it you know how does it work etc all these kind of things and the more i learned about science i think the more i became interested in the start point the embryonic stage of of, of medicine as yes. opposed to the end point of medicine and that's just kind of where i continued you know i i, I continued to ask questions i wanted to know and that's why i, I went into academia in the first mm -hmm. instance and continued in academia yeah. I see. Okay, so tell us about those early days in academia because you, you mentioned you did your PhD in biochemistry. Yes. Um, yeah. And then embarked on the, the I suppose, the traditional postdoc career. It, absolutely, no question at all. And um, it was kind of just a natural hop, skip, and a jump, sure. right? Because that's the path that you take. Um, my PhD was involved in fibrinolysis, which is the breakdown of clots in the blood. It mm -hmm. was a fascinating, I thoroughly enjoyed it, tough PhD, but then <laughs> <laughs> then that's the way they tend to be, right? right so yes. one of those ones where you think, oh, can I not get anything positive coming out of all these experiments? <laughs> is there yeah. nothing going to be like, what, nature publications coming out? But my goodness, it taught me how to to experiment correctly, to have the right controls, to get the most out of every piece of work that I did, to strive to find out why things were complicated and, 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 mm. and so on and so forth. So it was great for me because it really was a tough training course and I came out of that. I was either going to walk away from science or I was going to embrace it and I embraced yes. it, right? Um, and then that was very much protein-based biochemistry. That was very much that. Uh, I loved it because it was applied, because you could see 
it was connected to disease directly, I suppose is the best way to, to, to describe it. I mm. could see that potentially the pathways that I was working on could possibly end up being some form of, or part of a medicine in the future. So yes. that was great and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, then I moved into um, medical mycology, believe it or not. I never thought ever I would work on fungus and there I was <laughs> listening. <laughs> and the reason was that at the time, um, the department, um, that I was moving into was incredibly well funded. Mm. It was a collegiate, it was a fast moving, it was an expanding area of research. Um, there was lots going on and for me it was about molecular biology. Right. So I hadn't really touched upon molecular biology throughout my PhD. It was very much protein biochemistry and I had to get to grips with this DNA stuff if I was going to be anyone mm -hmm. and, and get anywhere in science. And so I moved into this team and it was fantastic. There's, there's absolutely no question about it. They were great. And again, um, I joke about it being fungus, but fungus is one of the biggest killers in the clinic. You know, sure, there are yeah, so yeah. many different, you know, aspergillosis and uh -huh. candidiasis and, and all the rest of it. And as much as it's critically important when it comes to antibacterials and development of those, antifungals is, is there and it always has been. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lesser kind of, um, it's an unmet need essentially. So right. So there was still that connection with what's happening in the clinic. There's still this potential to contribute to something that may help somebody one day. And so, and then of course there was the DNA side of it. So I was cloning, I was you know knocking genes out, I was doing all of this kind of nice stuff that yes. I really wanted to understand a lot more about. And during that period of time, I, I guess I did, as you said, a kind of traditional postdoc for a period of time and then went on to another postdoc and, and then another postdoc. And, I would have loved to have been a postdoc, I think, probably all of my life if you're allowed to do that, but that doesn't really exist. Right, yes. You've got to make a shout at some point, you've yes. got to make a transition, you've got to grow up. And you either have to get your own funding in order to build your own research group, or you can transition uh, or move and transition into a, a junior lectureship somewhere. At that point in my life, I had roots, mm -hmm. I had family, I had commitments, and so moving was not an option for me. Moving was something that I decided I wasn't wanting to right. do at that time. So that's fine, no regrets. Yeah. And so I had to make a decision about whether I was gonna write grants and start my own research team or look for something else. And I looked for something else. Yes. <laughs> I think that I had spent a period of time in academia. I loved academia, great group, uh, the collegiate, spirit of it, the mm. conferences, the, I mean it was just really great and I trained and I became trained as what I hope was a good scientist, mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I, I came out of it with you know, an understanding of, of how to do things and how they were done and etc etc and, and the ability to research and to present and you know all, all of these kind of, you, you learn a lot of skills that you don't really appreciate to right. organise your time, yep. to supervise, so I was supervising undergraduates and such like so you were given those responsibilities. I also taught, so I did lectures at the university, mm -hmm. I did tutorials, I did undergraduate practical classes, which I loved, yeah. it was just fabulous fun. And letting the, the new generation of, of, of graduates coming through, let them think about how to design an experiment and how to, you know, and get a feel for sadly, oh, it didn't come out the way you wanted it. But that's not a negative result, that just wasn't going to happen because yes. that's not part of the pathway, right? Yes. So, so on and so forth. And, and so just to build that confidence and, and to get them to understand the, the trials and tribulations that are scientific research. Um, but then it was a case of another opportunity arose mm -hmm. at that juncture in my life. And I kind of thought, hmm, okay, 
Time for change. Yes. Time for change. <laughs> so that was the point where you took that step into industry. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a bit about that. You know, what, are you, what do you remember about it? What was different? Oh. What, what was it like? Yeah. Wow. Worlds apart, I think, is probably... <laughs> I mean, obviously, the, the science was the continuum. Sure. But my goodness, it was, it was the adoption of a different mindset. Um, so the, the company that um, employed me at the time um, was a company called Haptogen. Mm-hmm an antibody discovery company, so a therapeutic antibody discovery company. It was a spin-out from the university. Um, And I'd known the scientists who'd worked in that company for a while now, but it was a case of we were in one building and then those people were in another building doing (laughs) stuff that we didn't know what they were doing and and, and so on and so forth, right? And then this position came up and I I think it was advertised as contract manager originally. And as soon as I entered into the company, because it's a small biotech company, I was then given alliance management position and the programs management right. position as well. So <laughs> that was my first experience was it's all hands on deck. Yes. You don't just do one job. You're part of a bigger thing. Here, yes. You know, and that I loved because I was exposed to lots of different parts of the company. And um, I also was challenged immediately, mm-hmm. which is something that I've learned about myself throughout my life, I suppose, and my career is that I, I react well to challenge, right. and I need challenge. So challenge and I are best friends. And so that, I mean, one part of it was the company, or the basis of the company was antibodies, and, and I kind of thought, oh my God, I know nothing about antibodies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done protein biochemistry, I've done lectures on antibodies, I'm full of antibodies, sure. but I have no idea about antibodies. And immunology, God, that's difficult, right? That's complicated. So I was a bit, unsure about my ability Mm. but I should just wipe that away because I just entered into this company and it was all about applied science it was all about directing these antibodies and they had a platform they were isolating human antibodies against different diseases it was all about the application of them and I soon learned about all the different programs of work that were ongoing so I was leading a team that was looking at liver fibrosis for example fascinating and and really a, a very relevant subject now and, and, mm. and will be in the future with regards to diseases such as NASH, so non-alcoholic yes. steatohepatitis, which is a result of perhaps eating what we shouldn't be eating and not moving enough and such mm-hmm. like, as well as other pathogenic reasons for it and such like. I love that. It was fascinating. So we had an antibody that could bind to the fibrotic areas of the liver and potentially could kill off those fibrotic areas and reverse the damage that had happened in the liver. Uh, I was also part of a European consortium, which was to do with fibrinolysis, so back to right. my roots. Yes. Um, an antibody which basically detected uh, a molecule called D-dimer in the blood, which was indicative of the very, very early stages of a blood clot. Mm. And so that was fascinating as well. And the beauty of that program was it was across 10 partners, right across Europe. I see, yeah. And different partners brought different parts of the technology because ultimately the aim was to make a handheld device that could go to the, the, the patient and immediately detect that they were about to have an embolism or an embolism I see. formed. Okay. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so um, brilliant for post trauma, you know, at the mm. site of whatever, wherever it was happening, or post-surgery, or so and so forth, even, you know, coming off an aircraft, you know, so sure. lots of different, um, uh, you know, possibilities with that, and then other areas, um, so even making diagnostic kits, you know, and, and so on and so forth, so that just fascinated me, so yeah. there was lots of different things going on at any one time, 
I got to overview all the programs of science. I then got to interact more on the business development side of it um, as alliance manager. So once the, the BD guys had brought a new client in who was interested in isolating an antibody for their particular target, um, then it was they were passed to me and I did all of that relationship building all of that, keeping them updated with the science um, and, and so on and so forth, and making sure, I suppose, that the milestones were going to be met mm -hmm. and looking ahead of the game for any risks that could potentially upset that particular pathway um, and looking for solutions, obviously. I can't, sure, just, I yes. can't just tell them it wasn't going to work. But <laughs> we're going to do this instead, right? So yeah. All of that, and I love that. And that comes back, I think, to my love of going out there and speaking to other companies and right. people and you know different parts of life sciences and such like. So, I mean... It relit my fire, I think is probably the best way to describe working for Haptogen. I realized then that the uh, commercial side of it, the industrial side of it, the dark side of it, whatever you want to describe it, was where I was a good fit. I see. And okay. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so that was a, a change for you from yeah. what you were used to, but then going to, to what was Wyeth at the time and yes. it's now Pfizer must have been very different again. Ooh, yeah. So, um, so it was the mid noughties. Mm. and uh, antibodies and biologics were where it was all at. Yes. And so there was a huge flurry of m and &E going on in the, in the big players' world. And so everybody was, I won't use it, it's unfair to say stamp collecting, because they were doing it for a reason. They wanted, sure. to, they wanted to bolster their early stage pipelines. They wanted new technologies. They wanted the next generation, right? So um, they were looking for alternatives to antibodies or additional pieces that would help them make better antibodies. And so um, it was Wyeth who came knocking on the door of Haptogen, this lesser known company in the northeast mm -hmm. of Scotland. And it, it, I mean, it was fantastic, actually. I mean, it was it was great press at the time. It was, it was exciting, but it was frightening, actually, as a member of the team in Haptogen, because you didn't yes. know what their, you know what they were going to do next. Were they just going to snap up the IP and take it back to their mothership in Cambridge, mm -hmm. Massachusetts, or were they going to invest in the actual team as well? And thankfully, it was the latter. So yes. they came back, they wanted people who knew what they were doing with the technologies that Haptogen had developed. Um, they invested in a, a new incubator, actually, that was being built anyway, but Wyeth took the whole thing over. Mm. And we were given various positions within the company, and um, I was delighted that I was given a, a leadership position in this, this large pharmaceutical company. So it was part of a, a bigger division called Global Biotherapeutic Technologies, and it straddled uh, America, Ireland and Scotland now, which is their new site obviously when, when they acquired us. Um, and we were basically, um, we were the, I don't know, I, I suppose we were the antibody engine right, for the okay. whole pharmaceutical company. And so um, Wyeth had lots of divisions like tissue and inflammation, oncology, uh, women's diseases and, and so on and so forth. And what they did was they would come to, to GBT as it was called and they would say, well, we've got this great target, we think an antibody would be a great drug, um, and, and we would review it and look at it and decide, and not only just decide whether or not to progress with the programme, but what kind of antibody. So mm. we then had a portfolio that went from fully human antibody um, to uh, chicken antibody, uh, okay. rabbit antibody, mouse antibody, and yeah, of course yeah. now shark antibody, because yeah. they had acquired a haptogen, the, the sharks came into play, and that was the team that I was leading. 
Um, so it was fantastic. It was very, very different going from a company of 35 people to a company of 54,000. Yes. There were slight differences. Yes. Um, there was differences in the, just kind of the onslaught of people who were interested in the technology from all different parts of the mm. company. You felt a bit overwhelmed actually. And I remember there was this wonderful chap who I think was VP of R&D at the time. Love him, great. I mean, there's been, there's been people throughout my career who I've just thought, oh, you're, you know, I right. really, I gained a huge amount from him. And the first thing that he said to me was, Caroline, manage their expectations, uh -huh. okay? Because they will want everything from you and some. They will want you to deliver it yesterday. They will want twice the amount that you're capable of doing. So you manage that, you'll keep your sanity, and you'll be able to deliver what they want. Okay, yes. so it was it's such a slight, subtle piece of advice, but something that stayed with me right the way through my pharma career. Because you then realize that there was a huge pressure to push things through the pipeline mm. because ultimately this machine was based on sales was the end point, of course, right? Yeah. Okay, I mean, we, you know, if you, if you cut to the chase. Um, but there was a lot of attrition and a, a lot of scientific challenges, but you were expected just to sort them out and deliver, right, yeah, you yeah. know, so <laughs> that the upper echelons were wanting a new drug. Yes. When's my blockbuster going to be ready, you know? <laughs> Come on. Um, you know, Tuesday, and I'm like, no. <laughs> so it was all about managing that, and yeah. I learned a huge amount. Oh, the science was phenomenal. The resources, you know, you had previously we've been in a small company where you sequenced a, a gene, and then you looked at the sequence and you aligned the sequence. You sent a sample for sequencing. The next morning, it had been analysed right, by yeah, somebody yeah. over in America, and it came back, and yeah. all all the information was there. The crystal structure was done. The, you know, this was done. This was done, and and it was just. It was working, it was almost like um, working with lots of different companies within one company because everybody had their departments and their areas of expertise and they would all be pulled in at certain points during the drug development um, pipeline, the drug development path if you like. Mm -hmm. and, and it was just a wonderful thing to see all of this happening yeah. at any one time. And it was, it, it was fantastic. It was stressful. I found it stressful at the start of the whole process because it was sure. a big change for me. The expectation of me as a team leader suddenly just kind of was huge mm. um, and you know I, I did have a family at the time and such like so there, there were challenges for me but my goodness when you know I come back to the point of challenge and, and I feed off of that and I fed off of it and, yes. and I gained a lot from working in big pharma it yes. was fantastic yeah. and it's an interesting point you make I think that um, the resources were unbelievable yeah. and, and what you had available to you was amazing but yeah. um, the point you make about your VP and I suppose a, a very different skill set in navigating that big pharma environment and, yes. and completely new things that you had to learn that you just wouldn't need to do in a biotech company Absolutely. It, it, there were different drivers mm -hmm. afoot and, and different drivers going on at any one time. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was taken, um, I had to present to the CEO at one point mm. <laughs> and things like that. And it was just like, oh, my little technology <laughs> and my little group in the northeast of Scotland and things like that. So, I mean, it really was, you were taught about um, good, I mean, the, the Obviously, confidentiality is absolutely key. There's no question about mm -hmm. that. But there are other aspects to it. So you had to be 
um, aware of perhaps conversations out with your workplace about drugs that have been taken that were sold by your company and somebody experiencing adverse effects. So there was business responsibility. Right. There was all of these kind of other. As if you were talking to a friend. Yeah, or, because it's yeah. yeah. I mean, the reputation of the company was huge. Yes. I mean, you weren't you weren't you weren't silenced by any stretch of the imagination or anything like that. But you were just more acutely aware. Uh-huh of the impact that uh, anything that you were doing could have on, I see, yeah. on, the, on the bigger machine. Um, and like I said before, it, it very much, they were driven by metrics in that they would have, so that they, they called them P1, 2 and 3, so there would be a particular target that would maybe have one type of antibody would P, be P1, it would be one stage of development, you had to have P2 and P3 following on rapidly after that. And you had to keep feeding that pipeline, but you had to be really um, robust in your approach. You couldn't just do something for the sake of doing it. You had to cut to the chase. Things had to go forward. Right. Yeah, couldn't go sideways. Things had to go forward. So if something looked like it wasn't happening, you had to be really quite tough about it, and you just had to cut it and stop it. You know. Whereas I, I suppose maybe taking a step back in in the biotech company, you were um, okay. You didn't have much chance to do a lot of innovative work and, and such like, but you had a little bit of control over what your your client wanted and, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth so you could do that and it, it seemed to be although it was still delivering it, it was a more kind of relaxed level of delivering it. and then in academia when you step back again you could do any kind of blue yes. sky research <laughs> right you could like go oh what's that band and oh what's that on that yes. gel and, and and go in any direction you want whereas in pharma it was absolutely this is the critical path you step off of that you've got to very good justification for mm. doing that. If you're not delivering that, you tell me why, and and so on and so forth. So, but that's not to say it, that's it wasn't it wasn't undue pressure no. because it, it was just trying to get accustomed to that kind of environment yeah. and adjusting yourself to that type of environment. Um, but like I said, you had the resources there. You just had to make sure that you recruited them at the right time. Yes. You pulled the right people into the right place. Um, you you delivered and and you presented that delivery at the right time and so on and so forth so yeah, yeah. it was i loved it i have to say i loved it it was it it was quite a change and it was like i said before quite stressful but once you got into it my goodness it was wise was one of those beautiful companies and uh, and it 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 invested a lot of their profits back into early stage r&d and so that part of the company was just a delight to work in Mm. because there were so many good people there. I mean, clever, clever people and and just inspiring scientists. They really, really were. But you always were mindful of the fact that you were operating in a larger machine. And and also, sorry, I I don't want to go on too much about it, but, but there was another aspect of it actually was that you, things could change like that, Mm. right? Now that could be, um, somebody, uh, you know, part of your IP being battled out in the courts and suddenly you'd lost 10 billion on one of your drugs because somebody was challenging it with a generic or something like that. It could be a new CEO come in and decided to cut that whole department. It could be, um, you know, something that crashed and burned in the clinic at phase three. So change was normal mm-hmm. and things could change very, very rapidly and it wasn't anything to do with anything you had done wrong or no, anything sure, like that yeah. and, and so on and so forth. It was multiple different commercial and business region reasons for change. Mm-hmm. It wasn't only scientific and so that took a bit of getting used to as well. Right, yeah. So something could be, you know, you'd been working on with your team for the last five years 
and then you had to stop it on Monday and start something different on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and that was it. So you didn't, you couldn't get precious about anything, and 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 you, yeah, you know, you, you just had to kind of think about it in the bigger picture of the company and where it was going strategically and also commercially. You know, what you know, what areas of of, of disease, if you like, were were going to be focused on, and, mm-hmm. and you know, so on and so forth. So. Yeah, and I imagine that's only increased with the sort of increasing specialization of these big pharma companies yes. and focusing down on particular absolutely. areas. Couldn't agree more. The, yeah. That's a big change that mm. has been happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I know it wasn't a direct step to Elasmogen from there, but um, tell us a bit about, I guess, the origins of Elasmogen, the origins of your involvement yeah. with the company and, yeah. and how that all came about. Sure. So, I mean, the, the origins actually sit firmly with the University of Aberdeen. So right. the original patent was filed by the university and that was on one of the platforms. Uh, and that was licensed into Haptogen. Um, and then when Wyeth came along looking for their biologics company that was going to feed not only their desire to have novel human antibodies, but also that next generation piece, they saw that that existed and, and there was potential there in, in single chain antibody-like molecules and such like. And so that was part and parcel of the acquisition and the rationale behind it. And I was then I was put on to that specifically onto that team mm. to develop that technology. So I was given access to the you know the, the resources across the company. I, I I had a team. Many of the scientists were already working for Haptogen, so it was people that I was already familiar with, which yes, is great so. actually. So that that gave you a little consistency at the start of the whole process, right? But then you obviously recruited more people into mm-hmm. the team and such like, and so that that continued. Um, and then you know <laughs> I didn't elaborate, but Pfizer then acquired Wyeth. You, yes, know, you of get course. one fish, bigger fish, you know, <laughs> blooming wells consumes the, the slightly smaller fish and such like and that was an interesting time mm. um, to us not a huge amount of change um, we benefited because then we could tap into the guys down in Sandwich Kent it, you know we were in later stage development I learned a lot about PKPD and such yep. like I mean friends of people that I'm still in touch with now great scientists again but of course when one behemoth consumes another one a big knife comes out and things start getting cut back to yeah. size, right? So there's obviously a lot of, you know, uh, crossover and, and there's a lot of attrition and such like. And so that wasn't pleasant. And I think the writing was always on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and it was when they closed down the site down in Sandwich Kent, which was a huge site for R&D by Pfizer, they started marching north and, you know, Hadrian's Wall wasn't going to stop them. So so we kind of knew it was coming. It it was an awful experience. Yeah. It was an awful experience. I've never been made redundant like that. Sure. to correct, my job has never been made redundant like that. Right? Just to keep it as HR <laughs> yes, has, has defined it and, and trying to make me feel better at the time. Um, lots of emotions, lots of emotions. Of course. Um, but out of that came the fact that this IP that was licensed into Haptogen, licensed into Wyeth, licensed into Pfizer, had never been assigned. Mm. So what that means is that the pharma companies didn't own it. And the university was fabulous at the time because when they then said they were closing the site, the university said, well, I think you'll find that you've got a patent that belongs to us. And Pfizer went, oh yeah. Um, So it rolled back to the University of Aberdeen along with some assets, so tangible assets. Okay. So a lot of um, the libraries and the domains that we've been developing and working on right the way through the, the trajectory of pharma, if you like. And it, I mean, it didn't come free. 
of course. Um, there was obviously clauses within the agreement yes. and such like, which we've worked and cleaned out and, and now we have full ownership of and such like. Um, and that was the basis of it. So um, at that point, um, my co-founder, Andy Porter and myself, then set out um, to find some funding, some investment. Uh, it took us a year. Okay. Um, during that time, members of the team who wanted to stay in Aberdeen, we, we kind of found different places for them to <laughs> to work and to, yeah. to, to keep going and to you know pay the mortgage and all the rest of it, with the <laughs> promise that we're re- we're honestly going to try and set yeah, this company yeah, yeah. up. We're, we're all together in this. And they believed in us, and I love them for that, and they're still with us. Um, so we were fortunate. I mean, in Scotland, there is there's some great funding opportunities, and, and Scottish Enterprise were incredibly supportive. Mm. So, um, and and continue to be so. So very very much uh, grateful to them, and also the BBSRC. So the BBSRC is a wonderful uh, funding body, and they had something called a super follow-on fund. Okay. Which really is, I, I, I love it because it's designed more towards technologies which are closer to market, closer to that conversion point into mm. something that actually is viable commercially. Um, and so that was a substantial amount of money. And so using that, we pulled the team together under the umbrella of the university still. Um, we developed the technology, we developed the platforms, and importantly, we bolstered the IP portfolio. So we yes. added another three, we filed another three patents during that time. And then when that money started drying up, we then looked for um, equity-based funding to then spin the company out. So that right. was all non-dilutive, if you like. Sure. And it then got us to the point where we were investable, you know, which was critical. And so that was an important period of our lifespan, actually, our kind of early stage. And then again, it was the Scottish Investment Bank that stepped in and said, okay, I can see something of value here. We'll put this money in uh, just to get you going. Yeah. Um, and then that's how we started. So we started our on, I think it was the 7th of February in 2016 so it's not that mm-hmm. long ago actually I mean sure, yeah. I may not be young but the company is and I got the phone call here in Edinburgh actually um, from my lawyer saying Caroline it's signed and sealed <laughs> it's done the investments in my goodness it takes a long time oh yes. my goodness it takes yes. uh, again it's managing expectations because you're dealing with the university as a shareholder you're dealing with a large uh, mm-hmm. body that is Scottish Enterprise and such like so the wheels turn more slowly but but you know, rightly so, because you know they've got to get it right, and the, right. The, you know you've got to kind of sort things out, and it's got it's got to be sorted and correct from the onset. And um, that was quite an experience. That was quite stressful, but we got it, and we started the company, and then we've gone on from there to start partnerships. We've been successful in grant funding, which has been an important aspect of our um, technology development as well, particularly, again, through the BBSRC and Innovate UK have been outstanding when it comes to the kind of funding that enables small companies to develop innovative products Mm -hmm. and support that early stage um, point of development. Um, We've brought in, we brought in an investor. Um, Again, that was on the back of an Innovate UK initiative which was an investment showcase we were part of the inaugural investment showcase i see um my goodness i got grilled i pitched and <laughs> i got sure, i yeah. got grilled and <laughs> i came away thinking what <laughs> that was horrible but yeah. it was fantastic because then they turned around and said well, we're investing in you yes <laughs> so sometimes those horrible moments in life where you just think you're crushed it's actually the best things come out of them right <laughs> Um, You're so working out wonderful. rewriting the business plan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. 
<laughs> rip that up. I'll yeah. start again and think of something different, right? Um, so that was great, absolutely yeah. great. And, and each time I go through any of these experiences, it just builds me as an mm. individual and, and, and kind of makes me feel that, okay, I think we are doing something right here. Um, and so that was great. And so that's where we are now. So yes. we are just um, securing an investment as we speak. Um, I'm hoping that something is just dumped itself into my email box and it shall be the final documents, but I'm not sure. I'll fingers be hanging crossed. up fingers on cross, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, as I said at the start or earlier on, uh, we're really keen to look for partners. I mean, we really think that it's it's about, you know, I suppose sowing a lot of seeds and, mm. and, and just seeing what grows up and, you know, getting the opportunity. There was the, Wyeth used to use this phrase, multiple shots on goal. Yes. And I think that's very valuable, actually, if you can do that. Um, but you've got to kind of do it in a resource smart way as a, as yes. a small biotech. So partnering with people who are expert in different areas and letting them take the technology and develop it. And if you get a positive, everybody wins, you know? Of so course. Some will grow, some will die and all the rest of it. But that's kind of where we're at right now. Excellent. So I'm really interested in, you know, I think the fascinating thing about your career, particularly the industry part of your career or from that step into industry onwards, is that there's a real scientific thread through it. Yeah. But the environment's changed a lot and yeah. your role in that has changed a lot as well. Yes. With, with all those different environments that you've seen, the different perspectives you've had, I suppose, um, through those those years, what do you think are the most important things you've learned from a career point of view or, or the, key, the key things that you've taken away from that or developed? Yeah, I think... I'm sure there's a few. Oh, there, 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 there's a few. I mean, absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, um, I think... People, I mean, people are absolutely critical, and and they've, and I mean, other people have played such a huge role in my career all the way through my career. People who are either directly in that bench space with you, helping you design that experiment, or to take those cells off at night when you couldn't be bothered coming in, and all the rest of it, supporting you through those early stages. But also, as I have transitioned away from the lab, away from the bench into more managerial positions and into ultimately leadership positions it is those around you and it's it's enabling those around you to be as good as they can be mm. as, as good as the, you know they are and such like and letting them take charge and, and take ownership and um, i have been incredibly fortunate to be supported by a, an exceptional team there's no question about that um, but it is a give and take situation you know i try and run the company in a, in a transparent manner so they know what's going on because that's critically important in a small company because you know you, you have x amount of money in the bank at any one time and yes. you may make it to the christmas party or you may not but you've <laughs> got to be kind of honest because you know it's their livelihood and their of course yeah you know, as much as anybody else's so that's been important to me is just to give credit where credit's due and to respect everybody around you and i'm always the first one to make the coffee in the morning and i'm always the first one to mop up the floor if something's leaking mm -hmm. in the morning i'm no bigger or better than anybody else in the company, right? We are together yeah. and we're all moving in one direction. So that's key. And I would probably say that I've also learned a lot from different individuals as well. So I mentioned that VP who I had great respect for. Equivalently, I've been managed by some people where I just wasn't sure if the person was going to slap me or kiss me in the morning because they were <laughs> that kind of, you know, they were, you know, the, it was the, they preferred the stick rather than the carrot. Yes. And I personally, res I, I responded okay to that. So I stepped up my game, but it made me feel as an individual that, that I wasn't good enough all the time. Like right. I wasn't really, and it really is tough. You take that home and, and it's not pleasant. 
and it doesn't do you any good from a confidence yeah. perspective and such like so I don't do that <laughs> and I just think you know so as much as you, you learn the positives from people that have had a positive impact in your life you, you take you turn around the negatives from people in your life as well throughout your career and turn that into a positive because you, you do learn these things of course and I think if I could also just add from a personal perspective um, I've heard this I've heard this ban- this must be fashionable at the moment I've heard this imposter syndrome being bantered around the yes. lot at the moment right yes and uh, of course I had to look it up because I wasn't really sure where it meant <laughs> and then I kind of thought oh my god that's me right, okay. <laughs> but then I think well no not really I mean I think what what underlies my um, concerns I suppose or or I feel that whenever I've been given a position in a particular career I felt that maybe it I'm driven by the fact that I'm never, I'm never quite good enough. So I always push myself more to okay. be that person that's beyond that. Um, not that I would say that I'm identifying inadequacies in myself. It's more a case of that I think I'm not sure if I'm capable of doing all of that's required from me. And then I kind of think, particularly for example, being thrown in, you know, kind of thrown into a leadership position in the big pharma company mm. and, and all of these kind of things. It was almost, it was almost like a. I kind of my path was was almost defined for me to a certain degree, and then stepping into a CEO position, I was thinking, oh my God, I mean, how am I going to start a company? How am I going to run a company? <laughs> so it's always that kind of I question myself a huge yes. amount, but I'm actually okay at what I'm doing, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I need to start thinking about that and saying, and taking a little time and patting yourself on the back occasionally is not a bad thing to do. Sit back and look at how far you've come mm-hmm. and, and who you've brought with you and and who's gained from that as well, you know. And I think, um, and this is, um, it's, it's a, I'm plagiarizing this phrase now, and it's don't seek permission, but seek forgiveness, yes. right? Which is something that I found very difficult, but it's something that I'm getting better at because I used to worry about doing the wrong thing. Mm. And then I kind of thought, well, what is the wrong thing? The wrong thing is to do nothing. True. Because uh, that is probably more damaging. And, and it really is... I've got to take control and step up and do something and I, you know so just step out there and make that decision Caroline or just you know if you've got to be abrupt about this and you've got to be pushy about this then then do it you know so I've evolved as an individual in that respect mm. and confidence might be the right word I'm not really entirely sure assertiveness might be the right word I'm not entirely sure but I've just grown as a person throughout this yes. and it is you know stepping out and being you know, out of your comfort zone, or whatever that you know, whatever you want to think, but just stepping out and doing something that you think, oh, mm. but then actually you stepped up and you did it. I mean, what was the worst that could happen? You know, you're fine. Yeah, you're gonna make mistakes. Mistakes are positive things. Of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so just just do it. You know, just get up and do it. Mm. So, so stuff is all. That was a bit of a, a, an amalgam of commentary, no, but it's really interesting. <laughs> but I'm just kind of thinking out loud and just kind of thinking about yeah. me personally, but also all of those around me. So you know, I've I'm. I smile when I walk into work, which is a really good thing. Well, that's all you can ask for, really, yes. isn't it? <laughs> Caroline, thank you very much. <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure, and I hope that somebody uh, understood at least part of that, or at least gained something from that. I'm it sure was, that they did. Thank I'm you sure so much did. for inviting me to talk with you today. Thank you for coming in. A pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.